All right, brothers and sisters, uh, would like to welcome up our guest speaker for today. Um, uh, by the way, if uh, you're new to some of the stuff that you're seeing here, uh, feel free to talk to some of our leaders or even talk to some of the pastors afterwards. Uh, or you can come to the picnic and we can have long talks about what happened. Uh, but, you know, we, the Word of God says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But increase comes through the strength of an ox. You know, when uh, the Holy Spirit sometimes starts to move, it gets a little bit messy. It gets a little bit what some people would say chaotic or disorderly. But sometimes when God's Spirit starts to move, it gets very messy. All right, but that increase is coming. That increase of grace, that increase of outpouring. You know, it comes to the Holy Spirit moving upon a place. And sometimes that can get a little bit messy. But look, check this out. In order for God to give you the gift of salvation... God had to get a little messy. He had to get a little dirty. If you want to see messy, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. God is not afraid to get things a little messy in order to reveal His grace onto the earth. Um, anyway, I want to invite up the guest speaker for today. She's a, a wonderful woman of God, giving us so much delight. Some of the big decisions we made recently uh, were through influences from her prophetic words. Uh, I just want to also honor a guest that has been uh, a friend of hers that's been traveling with her. Uh, she joined us for Sunday swim and released some really amazing prophetic words and just confirmations. It was such a blessing. Uh, I just want to recognize and honor her. Uh, her name is uh, Phyllis. Phyllis, could, could you stand up for a minute? This is Phyllis from Virginia. All right, there's some Virginia love. Virginia is for lovers. Isn't that what they say? All right. <laughs> All right. And uh, our guest speaker uh, for today, her, um, she works uh, with Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio is the head of the Passion College movement. Um, you may have seen uh, Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, uh, Matt Redman. Uh, some of these guys, they are worship leaders for the Passion movement. Uh, and uh, Louis Giglio is the d- director of the Passion movement and... Uh, as a college student, I know that it really impacted my life and my faith, and it was such a blessing. And they kind of bring together college students from all different campuses uh, to really worship the Lord and go after Him. And uh, a person that's really played a key role uh, in the uh, ministry's startup and growth and, and just really covering the ministry in prayer has been the intercessor, uh, one of the primary head intercessors for uh, Passion Movement. Uh, she's our guest speaker today. Uh, so let's put our hands together. Welcome up, Vicky Porterfield. Oh, awesome. All right, should I say Anyaniseo, huh? Uh, thank you. Oh, it's so good to see all of you. Boy, not many more could get in here. Wow, awesome. Glad y'all are here. Um, I, I really didn't write many notes until worship began, and then it was like, okay, God began to speak, you know? Does that happen to you when worship starts? God just starts to speak to you, and I thought, okay, i got to start writing this stuff down. I don't know if I, it is too much for me to just remember, um, but uh, I, I really am grateful to be here. I've been in Korea the last week doing a teaching, a couple of prophetic seminars and well, actually whole conferences, six hours a day. Uh, And so I decided to stop for three days in Seoul and just meet some friends uh, before I fly back to Texas where I'll be for three days. I've been in Texas visiting my daughter who had a baby uh, last month. And I know she's a, a beautiful grandchildren, <laughs> the smartest, most beautiful, wonderful kids of all, you know. Um, anyway, um, and then I'll return back to my other home where my husband's at work and is crying because I've been gone for a month. Come home, Vicky, which is, uh, I live on the Sea of Galilee in Tiberias, Israel. So, Yeah. Um, it is true and it is beautiful and I'm really blessed. I don't, I don't know what else to say. It's only been recently and I thought maybe I would share this, but maybe in Taiwan. I way too much to say today, uh, to cram it all in. But, um, 
just about the lessons I've learned from living four years in Israel has been pretty significant. It took me about three and a half years just saying, God, why am I here? (laughs) God, what is this? Why am I living here? Why do I live where Jesus lived? Why do I live right there? I look out my window and see the place where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount and walked on the water and lived at Capernaum and did 26 of the 29 recorded miracles. They're out my window. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, why am I here? God, what, it, what did you bring me here for? And um, so that'll be another sermon another time, Christian. Um, uh, you know, I, I actually like to teach. I'm really good at, I, I've been a teacher since I was six years old when I learned to read in first grade. Uh, during the summer, I gathered all of the four- and five-year-olds in the summer and taught them how to read in my neighborhood. Uh, so I've been teaching my whole life. Um, and so what ended up happening is I, I thought, oh, I'll come here and teach. I've got, I'm really good. I'll give you five points to a sermon. I'll tell you everything, and you'll walk out and say, that was an amazing teaching. What wonderful revelation. But today God said, no, I don't want you to teach. I just want you to tell stories. Um, so I will tell you, there's some points to these stories, you know, I mean, uh, but, uh, the reason I'm going to tell you some stories is I've been in full-time ministry for probably over 15 years. Um, been involved, uh, since I was a college student, got born again and filled with the spirit. And so I thought, okay, lived a nice, wonderful Christian life. I have led and facilitated every kinds of ministry and meetings and, um, But this year has been an amazing one for me since January. And my entire paradigm of what I believe, of missions, of understanding what God is doing has shifted. And um, I knew that. But it was interesting when I went back to Texas to see some of my friends. I would sit and talk to my friends. And after about 45 minutes, uh, my friend looks up and goes, "Uh uh-oh, Vicki, you've changed. And I went, yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, then uh, I went and talked to my pastor and his wife, and they listened to a few things I had to say, and they went, Vicki, you're different. I went, yeah, yeah, I like, like I'm radically changed. And um, it's because of some of the things I've seen and heard and people I've met. And so I have been, um, I think part now of my calling is to basically connect the body of Christ to hear and see what God is doing around the world. My new, my new question that I ask uh, is, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Uh, whether it's something in an individual's life, you know, if you're on the floor, okay, God, what are you doing? God, if, you know, Christians calling people forward, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What are you doing? What does this mean? What are you doing? And so, uh, God, what are you doing in Korea? God, what's happening here? I've, I've now been, I've probably been with five different groups, and uh, I have about three or four more to go before I go home on Tuesday. God, what are you doing? What, what's happening here? Uh, what, what are you doing here? And not only that, what are you doing in the earth? And I have to tell you, I am overwhelmed. I am amazed. I am in awe. And so if I can tell you these stories without weeping, it will be a good thing. Because I am, I have been, let me say this. Satan has duped us, tricked us into thinking that Christianity is just, should be silenced. That Christianity is a way of just traditional old methods. And that the church is dying. When actually God has got a strategy and a plan that is coming about that is phenomenal. None of us could even imagine it. The reason it's happening is because... Thank you. (laughs) Already. Uh, The reason it's happening is because the time is coming to an end soon. Uh, 
Um, it won't be much longer before we see the return of Jesus. So there's an acceleration of the movement of God. And I've learned that God, you know, I want to say there is no question that the move of God is in this place and upon New Philly. Uh, the glory of God is here. You all don't need to pray it in. You got it. Okay. Uh, it is here. Um, there's no question about it. So when you want to say, what does the glory of God look like? Look around. Okay. Uh, look, look and see what is happening and jot it down because that's part of what God is doing is right here. But you know, God uses his spirit and he blows with certain streams and certain winds in certain areas. And it's just like, kind of like looking at a weather map. You know, and you say, okay, well, here's where the norther's coming and here's where the wind's coming and this is what's happening here and this is the cold spots and the hot spots. Okay, it's the same way, you know, with the move of God and the Holy Spirit. So I've been kind of opening my eyes and saying, okay, God, show me where's the hot spots. You know, where, where, where's the wind? Where is it blowing? What are you doing on earth today? I want to see it. I heard some stories in the last year and I thought, well, that's pretty incredible. But you know what? I hear lots of st- good stories and you read them in books and you hear people tell them and you think, uh, I don't know if it's for real. So they've invited, so they said, come and see us. And so I said, okay, I'm going there. I don't know about you, but I'm like, it's nice to hear about a miracle. I just would like to see it with my own two eyes. Uh, not that I doubt. I just like to rejoice and be excited about it. I want to see it. You know, if somebody's got their teeth that have gold fillings, open your mouth. I want to see those gold fillings. I don't doubt that they're gold. I don't doubt that God did it. I just want to see it. <laughs> I'm excited about this, you know? It's not that I don't have faith. I just like seeing it. So anyway, I just had this incredible paradigm shift um, about what God is doing. And part of it has come about because I'm actually honored to be invited. And the last time I was here, I shared a little bit when I was at um, your Friday service, <laughs> prayer service, uh, is I have been honored to be meeting with a group of leaders. There's about 10 men who are movement leaders, apostolic movement leaders in the nations of the earth. Um, These are not just pastors. These are pastors of pastors. These are people who lead movements. Uh, These 10 men have planted thousands of churches. These 10 men uh, have a congregation that meets on a Sunday or a Saturday. Their congregations add up to 1.8 million people. Um, They cover about 18 countries. Um, And it's these guys sit around and talk together. Their leader is a man from Texas that I had met. And he says, uh, Vicki, why don't you pray for us? And I said, why don't I come and pray for you? Because the first meeting was near where I was, which was in Nairobi, Kenya. And so I went to Nairobi and just sat there. And I, I thought, now I know why they need prayer. Because these are the most type A, visionary, off the chart, uh, just huge. I mean, all of them think in millions. Okay. They think in, you know, they're asking God, I need 10 million. I need $50 million. I need a billion dollars for the kingdom. I need a billion here and a billion there. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, this is like way bigger scope than what I'm imagining. This is far beyond an American church thinking. It's far beyond even a large Korean church church's scope. This scope is huge. They have international scope. And one of the things that happened is um, they said at the beginning, one of the first meetings, actually the very first meeting, they went around the story and they told about what God was doing in their region and with each one. And I, I go to as an intercessor. So I say nothing. I sit in the back. I, excuse, I had to leave. So I go to the bathroom and just cry a bit. Um, I thought, oh my God, this is like, unbelievable. I don't hear these stories. I don't read this book. This is, this is not on Christian TV. This is nowhere. No one has said these things. I am absolutely overwhelmed. 
And the meetings are closed, and there's no taping, nothing. No, nothing's written down. They can't write, we don't write down things. We don't tape it. It's just these movement leaders. So uh, I've just been greatly impacted with what God is doing because I said, God, I want to see it. I want to go where they are. And um, so I've had an opportunity to do that. And the reason I pray is because you put a group of these kind of people together, and it's amazing they even communicate, you know, uh, <laughs> because they all have just, you know, that they listen to one another and communicate with each other, but they all laugh a lot. They all laugh. Everything, I mean, they have tremendous humor, tremendous joy. They all have suffered severe persecution. Uh, some have been divided from their wives and their children. You, you don't even want to hear all those stories. But they all have the gr- same mission. So what happened was the very, one of the first meetings, they said, what is your mission? They went to the next one. Well, what has God called you to do? Well, what has God called you to do? And all of a sudden I realized, you know what? It's the same for every one of them. They all have the same calling. It's Matthew 28, verse 19. They all. So I thought, okay, let's just, I'm going to read it to you. Even though you already know it, hopefully. Uh, At the end of Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority has been granted to Christ in heaven and on earth in order for them to go. Go. So they're going and making disciples of all nations. And that is their burden. Now, the thing that I learned from these men of God is their idea of making disciples is different than mine. Because they are interested in individuals only. They're out to save cities, people groups, and they want to see the nation where they live discipled. They are into discipling nations. And I thought, wow, you know, I've been a little disciple and I've been in a disciples class and I've been a leader of disciples and taught my Sunday school and made disciples. But God, I've even been a leader in my city and worked with the leaders of my city to impact and transform my city. And I used to say everything about was cities. Uh, how to reach your city for Christ. I used to travel all around. How to reach your city for Christ. How to reach your city. And I realized, God, I'm thinking too small. I'm thinking too small. I'm only thinking of a city. I, I teach on gifts of a city and territorial spirits over a city. And how, and how to identify those things and how to bring commu- your people together for a city. And God said, too small, Vicki. I'm discipling nations. Nations. I thought, well, how's that going to happen? Who's going to disciple a nation? You know who's going to disciple a nation? A disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus. You have to be a disciple in order to disciple others, right? What is a disciple? The word disciple stands for pupil. It's a student. The disciples of Jesus were pupils of Jesus. Um, It says... that part of a disciple, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures, but it talks about carrying your own cross. It says a disciple will make sacrifices, will give up all their possessions. A disciple will hate even his own father, mother, husband, wife, and children. In other words, he's going to love Jesus more than his own family. And when I met these men, I don't think I've ever met a more passionate group of people who are passionate for souls. I mean, they bleed, burn, die for souls. It's, it's, they are compelled for the souls of the nations. Uh, the interesting thing is most of them are working in areas where the church is weak or non-existent. It's the 1040 window. It's working in Muslim nations. It's working, uh, in areas that are unreached. And I have listened and watched, what does it mean to disciple a nation? And so I'm going to tell you about my stories. I went to northern India in um, April, a couple months ago. 
And uh, I think it was probably one of the most life-changing trips I've ever been on. Even, and I travel a lot. I've got a really big, fat passport. <laughs> I just added my final set of pages. You know, it's like 40 or 50 pages filled with stamps. I travel a lot. But you know what? I've never been to a place like northern India. Uh, I am so compelled by the things that God is doing there. I want to just invest in and pray into what God is doing there. The only thing is, I don't know if I ever want to go back. (laughs) I'm like, wow, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And I don't know if I want to go there because it's hard there. You know, with the, you know, like you get sick from the food. There's, it's not clean. It's nothing like Korea. It's, Korea is so nice and clean. It's been a pleasant time, but it's not there. And, and so I thought, ah, now they've asked me to come back and do some national, um, move, help in the national movement of intercession and spiritual warfare over the nation. But, uh, what I want to say to you is God is doing a tremendous thing there. The, the pastor that I'm working with is a gentleman named Josie and Josie, um, was a, is a businessman. He's a businessman who was reading a book and found out that in this book that he was reading that the most unreached area of the world was Northern India. And he's an Indian from the Southern part of India, which is pretty well churched and reached in the Southern part. But the Northern part is dangerous. It's run by Hindu militants. Uh, and it's a tough, tough place. And Josie says, I feel like the old, the thing that needs to happen is to establish a testimony of Jesus in every place that I can go. So that means he's church planting. You, ch- you plant churches to build the testimony of Jesus in that place. So he's planting churches. He's developing schools um, that are church planting schools. And you have to be in school for one year and be trained. Now, when I say one year... It's 24-7. You live with the senior leader. So there's 30 young men who live with their senior leader. And I said, well, can't you just send them to school like a seminary or a Bible school? No, they have to live there. And I said, why do they have to live there? He said, to build character. You see, to build character, it takes living together. Uh, it, for those of you who've lived, for those of you who are married, you know, that's true. For those of you who've had roommates, you know, that's true. It builds your character, right? Living together. It's, there's nothing quite like rubbing shoulders with somebody who's different than you that doesn't like to go to bed when you like to go to bed, that doesn't watches TV that's loud or noisy, etc. You know, it's, it's tough living together. That's what builds character. And I'll never, a couple of things that Josie's taught me. He said, you know, Vicki, churches and ministries never fail because of a lack of money. They never fail because of a lack of people. They never fail because of a lack of vision. They never fail because of a lack of plans or programs. Churches fail and ministries fail because of a lack of character. It's a lack of character that tears down a leader. It's a lack of character that tears apart a ministry. It's not a lack of prayer. It's a lack of character. It's not because of the devil. It's because of our character. And I thought, wow. So he says, when he trains leaders, he's looking how to train them in character. He says, it's not a lack of knowledge. Churches don't fail because they don't know enough Bible. Okay. God will teach us the things we need to learn. The Holy Spirit's very capable of teaching us the things we need. And the Holy Spirit is teaching people who do not know how to read, who do not have a Bible in their language, and the Holy Spirit's capable of teaching them. Character, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. And he says it takes living together. Uh, we don't train this in America. Most of our seminaries aren't spent living together with our professors and our leaders. Uh, most of the people don't. 
don't, aren't required in that way to live together. The thing that I was interested in when I was watching Josie in India is he mixes with all kinds of people, not just church leaders. He doesn't just mix with people who are like him. He doesn't even mix with just a certain denomination. There is no discussion of denominations. They all, he works with all of them. He works with a lot of business leaders, a lot of entrepreneurs. I said, why do you always seem to work with entrepreneurs? He said, Vicki, I don't know any Christian leader who has a vision big enough for the kingdom of God. Business leaders, however, are entrepreneurial and they understand what it is to cover the scope of a nation or nations. Okay. If they work, if they do Microsoft, they're big. If they work for Samsung, they don't think of Samsung and Seoul, do they? They think of, they don't even think of Samsung in Korea. Samsung is out to cover the world in cell phones <laughs> and other things as well. Okay. I mean, their, their scope of a, of a leader, the leader of Samsung is far bigger than a city or a nation. They want to, so they have a much larger scope. So he was saying, when I meet with entrepreneurs, we have something in common. <laughs> they understand how to reach so many millions in Northern Korea. There's 500 million people who have not heard the name of Jesus. That's more than South Korea, North Korea, all of America. (laughs) They're in a small area, but that one area, just the, just the Northern part is really, really tough, really tough. It's the birthplace of Hinduism, Sikhism, a lot of the new age comes out of northern India. And a lot of your just occultic faiths and beliefs come out of north India. Okay. Well, I just want to tell you, now it's their turn. And the Holy Spirit is blowing through there. He's just blowing. I have to tell you a few stories. One of the, they were having a meeting. And one of the, late, one of the uh, women that came to the meeting got born again. So she comes up to the pastor and the meeting was maybe smaller than this. She comes up to the pastor and she says, pastor, what do I do now that I'm born again? He says, well, where do you live? And she says, oh, I had to take about an eight hour train ride to get here. He says, oh, go back home. And he says, and tell the people in your area, tell your friends and family about Jesus. And here's the Bible. She says, okay. (laughs) Two years goes by. And she's in another one of these meetings this pastor is having. And she says, comes up to him and says, do you remember me? He says, no, I don't remember you. She says, well, you sent me to go home to speak to my friends and family. She said, I did. She says, so will you come and talk to them? He said, sure. I'll be glad to. When can I do that? And she says, they set a time. So she goes. I mean, he goes to this area to talk to them. And he calls my friend Josie, the leader of the movement, and says, Pastor Josie, I have a problem. He says, what? He says, I don't know what to do. We have problems here. He says, what is it? He said, I went to see these ladies to meet this lady and her friends and family. And there in the rice field are 22,000 people. 22,000. She has told her friends and family and friends and family. And uh, now Josie says, well, I guess we're going to have to move backwards. We've now got people who are saved. Ah, now we're going to have to go find them a pastor and we're going to have to go build a church planting area and we're going to have to get some leaders. You know, we're going to have to send some evangelists. We're going to have to do all, you you know, all the prep work never happened. Now we have to pray. (laughs) (laughs) All these things that you should do first before you have tremendous outreach uh, didn't happen, all that first initial stuff. So now Josie said, okay, we'll go back. We'll, we'll, we'll plan us a church. We'll do these things. So, you know, he, he goes in and they're baptizing whole villages, 3,000, 5,000 in a day. Just a uh, tremendous move of God. I talked to a man who was a prophet there. I said, I want to know. Oh, well, let me tell you something else. Oh, let me tell you something else first. Uh, he, he 
he moves with these business leaders, but he also moves in the government and politicians. One of the things they did is they had an invitation to speak to the Indian parliament. And he went in and he said, now, what am I going to do? Should I give him Bibles? No, I better not give him Bibles. Uh, Let's see, how do I do this? So what they decided to do was take the Bibles, the holy book, the holy Bibles, wrap them in paper as gifts and set them on a table. And they said, uh, and Josie began to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? They wanted to hear it. They said, we want to be like the West. We want to hear the things that have made the West successful. And if that's Jesus Christ, we want to hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, So they wanted to hear about it. And Josie said, many of the truths we have in the scriptures, we call the Holy Bible. And uh, we brought one. If you would like one, you may pick one up. If you're not interested, that's fine. You know, almost all of them are Hindus, high level caste system Hindus. And uh, they said, so it's not necessary. But if you're interested in reading our holy book, you're welcome to. Everyone picked up a Bible to read. And then they said, can you bring us others? We want to send them to our families and friends. So far, he's led, I think, about a half a dozen of the members of parliament to the Lord. He has met with the top Buddhist religious leader, number one, in, I guess, Buddhist priest. And this Buddhist priest sat down with Josie and said, yeah, you know, Christians don't like to meet with Buddhists, right? Josie does. He likes them. He likes all these people. So he, Josie says, he met with this guy and they talked and he, he, this man stopped and said, you know, I'm convinced that the solution for our country to deal with the poverty, the education, and the struggles of India, there's only one answer. Josie said, what is it? He said, Jesus Christ. He says, so I want to support your work, and I'm going to give you money. In fact, a significant, I would say probably about 20, I think 20% of the money for Josie's ministry is from Hindus and Buddhists. How about that? Wouldn't you love to get the Buddhists to help New Philly? When they say New Philly makes so much difference in this city. New Philly is so amazing. And we know that it's such a significant movement. We'll support it. Uh, Now that's something. I thought, wow, this is kind of shifting my paradigm. This, This is like, wait a minute, God, I'm a Christian. I do things with Christians, for Christians, and my engagement with people on the outside is to get them to believe and bring them inside so they can fit in my Christian culture. He goes, no, no, they're out of the box. All of these 10 men live outside the box and engage society. And when you are going to disciple a nation, you got to engage society at every level, not just... In a church setting, that's, that's one level of society, your faith or your religion. That's just one. But he doesn't even make differentiation between one area and another. Now, granted, there is probably, well, we know there is. Uh, his name's on the list uh, by the Hindu militants they will, to track him down and kill him. Um, but it's been on a list for a while, and he just keeps doing it, keeps moving. Um, the last time I saw him, he was pretty sad. I said, what happened? And he said four of his pastors had been murdered. I uh, went to a, we went to this incredible uh, area where they actually were graduating after one year of study, 30 young men who were church planters. And uh, Josie gets up. He says, I've got the graduation message for you. I thought, wow, I love graduations. Okay. In fact, I'm going to go back to Texas and I've got my nephew graduating with a business degree and my niece is going to have a law degree. I'm going to hear graduation commencement messages. So I'm going to hear these messages. And, um, Josie said, well, I just want to tell you my verse today is from John. It says that Jesus, I mean, God will not require any more of you than he required of Jesus. Uh Oh, (laughs) and he says, and the three pastors who have been in jail for the last two weeks that we've been praying for because they were falsely accused 
and have been beaten and barely lived uh, are out of prison and they're here to greet you. And they came forward. And then he showed a video and he said, you know, when you graduate, I just want to let you know what you might expect. He, and they had a video. And he said, okay, this woman, uh, her husband was killed for his faith. This one, oh, their children were kidnapped. Uh, this one, his tongue was cut off. This one, uh, and, and just think, when you get to be pastors, just be prepared. This could happen to you. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is not good news. And then these three people who had just gotten out of prison, everybody was like, we've been praying and fasting for you. They all wanted to hug him. And they said, don't touch me. Because they used electric prods all over my back. And I was on a daily basis. But he said, and they said, but we know where we're going to plant a church. We want to go back to that prison and plant a church. I thought, whoa. Whoa. God, this is shifting me here. I'm, I'm, the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't fit into Vicki Porterfield's paradigm. This doesn't sound like the nice church. I like to just prophesy over people, and I kind of like being slain in the spirit, and I like worship, and, and Chris Tomlin's my good friend, and it doesn't fit with all this stuff, you know? I can't, I don't know how to tell Louie all this. You know, this is, this is tough stuff. This is hard. I, this doesn't make sense to me. One of the things that Josie realized was that um, he said, I know I I need to identify the stronghold of this nation. What is it that keeps this nation from absolute all-out revival? And he realized that what it was was not idolatry. It wasn't false religions. It was actually the caste system. Are you familiar with much about the caste system? You know, you have the multiple castes. There's probably about five recognized castes in India. From the highest to the lowest. And each of them represent a working class of people. You know, whether it's the business leaders or the people that work in sales and market, I mean, sales and store, run stores and this kind of thing. Then below that caste are the untouchables. The, you may have heard of the Dalit. They're part of the untouchable class. They're below the regular caste. Uh, and I had heard of this. Now, let me tell you what happens in a caste system. In Hindu, for one thing, it's a religious system. The ones that are the highest are as gods. And whatever caste you are, if you're in the third level caste, then you can order and you are um, the authority over everyone below you. You can force anyone below you. So it's not just like the first caste has authority. The first has authority over everyone. But even number three has authority over those below him. So whatever caste you're born into is the caste you live in the rest of your life. Okay? And if you are a good person and do the things of your level of caste, then you will come back and be reincarnated and you might get bumped up. Okay, but if you don't live a good life in that caste, if you rebel, if you are not willing to stay and be obedient in your caste, then you will be bumped below. In fact, you may end up to be a pig or an ant or a roach. And so uh, people figure out that the only way they can have a better life is to not complain but to just stay in the cast they're in. So Josie has said it's time to get a, do away with the caste system. But you know what? Christians can't do it because there's not enough Christians there. So he's bringing business leaders, politicians, Buddhists, Sikhs, and Hindus together. And they're having meetings on how, what does everyone think about caste reconciliation? How, what do you think about the caste system? And you know what happened at the meeting that we were at? They're all angry. None of them like it. They all think it's unfair. Now, granted, they're not the people from the highest caste. The ones who control the country. But none of them like it. And so they're talking. And one of them said, do you realize that the people at our level of caste, and he was like in level three, he said, We have meetings with children. 
And we get the children together that are in young young elementary schools, maybe five, six, seven years old. And we get them together because they're in a lower caste. And the men of our caste will urinate in a bucket. And then we will have the children march in so they can drink our urine. We just need to let them know that they're nobodies. And the best thing in life that will happen to them is they will get to drink our urine. And they better not want to change. And they better not spit it out. And they better not complain. Because the next time, it'll be worse than that when they return. And I thought, that's pretty overwhelming. So the problem in India is people can't change. Can't be born again. Can't change. Can't grow. Can't achieve. Can't be like South Koreans. No freedom. Freedom? You got to be kidding. There's no freedom in that. So Josie meets with these leaders about caste reconciliation. They decide to really find the people in the lowest caste. And they met one of their church pastors. is named Pastor Guru. Young man, maybe 24 years old. He'd gone through their church planting school. In his area, he said, God told him. This is another interesting thing they do. They said, you know, after you ch- plant a church, it's up to you to determine to hear the Holy Spirit to decide what God would say to you. We're not telling you where to church plant. We're not telling you where to go. We're not telling you what to do. I thought, well, that's a nice thing of a church leader. I kind of like that. Uh, But we're going to let you go where God and the Holy Spirit would direct you. So he went out and he decided he would reach out, Pastor Guru, to a group called Snake Charmers. Snake Charmers (laughs) do just what they say. They go out into the fields in the hot weather in the north and during the, in the desert areas, take the cobra snakes. They make a contract with the snake, they told us. That sounds demonic to me, but they make a contract with the snake, okay? You don't harm me, I will care for you, and I will release you within one year. So they make a contract with this snake. They put him in a bag, bring him in a basket. They dress with these brightly colored turbans and they play their little pipe flute and these little, not little, (laughs) these poisonous snakes dance and they pick up the snakes and do a little show and they make money. Now, the interesting thing about snake charmers is snake charmers are not in one of the cast nor are they untouchables. They are below the caste system. That means they are nobodies. They are not considered humans. They are not citizens of India. They cannot get jobs, and their children cannot go to school. They cannot buy property, and they cannot rent. They can have nothing, because remember... They're not human. They are not a part of the system. They're not a part of a caste. They're not a part of the untouchables. They're below untouchables. So Pastor Guru says, this is the area God has called him to. He goes out, he shares the gospel. It doesn't take long. They say, you mean we have identity in Christ? You mean Jesus loves us? Are you kidding? We want to know Jesus. And not only that, we want, and the tribal leader says, we want our whole tribe to know Jesus. So, We don't know what else to do other than charm snakes, but in between charming snakes, we're going to write, we're going to sing songs. I went to these villages because this was such a testimony. Now they've got seven snake charming villages. They've all won to the Lord. They're all wanting to serve God and they are playing their little flute. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my deliverer. I have freedom, freedom, freedom. Jesus loves me. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. This is like, they do their little dance with these snakes. I remember turning to my husband. I said, is that a real snake? Is that like really a cobra? He said, Vicki, watch that. And I went, oh, it really is. And they came to me and they put these turbans on our head. And the ladies put these lays on us. And it was such an incredible meeting. And we blessed them. And we thanked them for the opportunity 
to meet with them and said, we want to let you know we want to be praying with you. They were just aghast. There were probably twice, maybe three times as many people. Snake Charmers Village is you guys. And I thought, oh, wow. And then they said, we want an opportunity to wash your feet. If you're a man, would you please come forward? And all the men on the team, which were probably 12 men, would wash the feet of the leaders of the village as well as other men. And they said, if you're a woman, there's Vicky and a college girl and another woman from Malaysia. And the three of them are going to wash some of the women's feet. And they came up and I sat with a bowl and I washed their feet. And I prayed for them. How blessed are the feet of them who bring good news. And then they said, that's enough. And I went, wait a minute, I only did this four times. I, I, I have about 300 women. I'll stay here all day. They said, can't, got to go. But you see, when we washed their feet, they wept. Because you know who white people are? We're above the highest caste. We're, 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 we were the highest. We're, we're above the number one caste, the leaders of their country. We, we were, to them, it was more, we were Jesus. Washing a disciple's feet. And they were mixed feelings. They were like, oh, you can't touch me. You're too holy, too godly, too marvelous, too high for me. And the other part of them said, yes, would you wash my feet? (laughs) I thought, wow. With us was the key number one police inspector of all of India. High level government official. These government officials are just totally intrigued by what Josie is doing and the changes he's seeing. And he came and he said, I brought something for you. And Pastor Guru, who had been discipling these people, knew about this happening. And he said, uh, in fact, here, I'll, I'll just hold on. He had a notebook and he said, you see this notebook? He said, I want you to put your names in the notebook. I want every one of you to put your name. I know most of you can't write or read. We're going to help you. Pastor Guru will help. I want you to put your name in your notebook. If you know your birth date, I want you to put your birth date. We want the tribal leaders to take this notebook from village to village among all of you. And he said, when you finish putting your names, I'm taking it to parliament. I'm presenting it to parliament. And I'm going to say, these people are citizens. These people deserve an identity. And we're going to come back and we're going to give you identity cards for our country. And you're going to be able to get a job. And every one of your kids are going to go to school because you're going to be people now. You're going to be citizens now. You are human. (laughs) And we're sorry for what we've done to you in our nation. But we want to tell you you're real and you're alive and you're human beings to us. And you're from India and you've been here in our land for hundreds of years. And you're citizens now. You're not just citizens in the kingdom of God. You don't just have your identity in Christ. I'm telling you, you have your identity here as well. And we're putting your name in a book. Because they already knew that their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. So they got identity or they're getting it in this summer. Is that awesome? That's changing a nation. Okay. That's discipling a nation. Josie's talking. I got one more story, Pastor Christian. I got lots more stories. I'm going to tell you one more. One of the things that happened is that, um, Pastor Josie was meeting with leaders of different castes. We found out that there is a particular caste a particular level of caste called the shepherd caste. These are, work with the livestock, the, the sheep, the goats, the chickens, various livestock. They do all of the things, then they're called the shepherd caste. There's over one and a half million I, people, I believe, in the shepherd caste. One and a half million. About three years ago, four years ago, they figured out, the leaders of the caste gathered together and said, we have a problem. We have been Hindus for hundreds of years. And Hinduism is, isn't serving us well. <laughs> it's not helping us. It's not helping us get better or achieve for us. I'm not so sure we really are Hindus. You know, they have 300 million gods in Hinduism. So he said, I'm not sure that 
these gods really are serving us or helping us, I think we should go on a search and find out who are we really? What do we really believe? So they said, let's do it. They began with the writings of Buddha and all of the Buddhist writings, and they studied them and read them. At the end of their conclusion, they decided Buddhism wasn't any better than Hinduism. Forget it, they weren't Buddhist. Then they decided, we will see and check into Islam. Because Islam, the second largest country besides Indonesia, is, is India. So they said, we will check into Islam. So they began to look into Islam. And they read this Quran. And they studied the Quran. And they read the whole, and they said, you know what? This is not us. This is not our God. This is not our people. These are not our rules. This will not work for us. Someone said, well, then get the Holy Bible. So they caught the Holy Bible. They said, okay, we're going to try reading the Holy Bible and see what it says. And we're going to study it. So the leaders began to read from Genesis through. And then they came to Psalm 23. And they said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. They went, oh my gosh. This is it. Jehovah is from our cast. Jehovah knows us. Jehovah is a, from the shepherd cast. Oh, we have found our God. We have found our God. They continued to read. They said, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the one who is the shepherd and he hears us and he calls us and he calls our names and he knows us by name. He is our shepherd. We have found our faith. Our God wrote about us in his holy book. He knew us before time began. He knew we would be searching for him and he has found us and we have found him. Jehovah God from the Holy Bible. We will serve him all our days. They said, but we will not force this on the people in our caste because they are educated. So instead, we want two million Bibles printed. Make sure it includes Psalm 23. (laughs) I will tell you that they do a lot of humanitarian aid, but only through the church. As they church plant, they reach out to the orphans and those who need to read and the illiterate and the poor. They said, we don't do humanitarian aid outside of the work of the church. Only through the arm and the work of the church. Our job is to see people engage the kingdom of God. Our job is not to separate the message from the messenger. We're not saying, hey, we love you, we care about you, we give you something and separate it from who is the lover of our souls. Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. So I saw a picture of how a society is changing, how the caste reconciliation process is happening, how the caste are being broken down. I watched how business leaders, we had, oh my gosh, this super, super wealthy man, I mean, close to a billionaire, very wealthy man was watching him. He wanted to go to the Snake Charmer's village. He was escorted. He had Police escort be in front of his car and behind his car. But he said, Josie, I need you in the car with me. He said, I believe in Jesus. He said, but tell me about baptism. Because you said I am not a full Christian until I'm baptized. I want to know. All the way there and all the way back. He had to talk about baptism. He said, I'm ready to be baptized. You know, families, whole families, Hindu families are saying, we need a Christian guru who knows the ways of God. And we are calling Josie to be our Christian guru. My Christian pastor friend, Bob Roberts, works with Muslims. They call him a Christian imam. They don't know what pastor is. So he's the Christian imam. Josie's my Christian guru. And I'm watching that God is doing amazing things way outside the box. And you know what? (laughs) Those people are still doing snake charming, which is witchcraft. Do you know why? They don't have any other way of living. Josie said, we're waiting. We're praying. When they get those identification cards, we're going to be training them. So where they can make a living to raise their family outside of snake charming. But right now, do you want me to tell them they can't 
make a living and feed their family? I'm not telling them that. I'm not telling them that. My friends, I, oh, I could tell you more stories. But anyway, the, the point is, God is doing outside things outside the box. He's discipling nations. He's discipling whole regions of our society, education systems, government systems, business systems, the media, the entertainment systems. God is reaching people in every realm. The interesting thing, and I'll close with this, is I met a prophet there and I said, why? Tell me, why is this happening in India? Why is, what's going on? Did y'all have a mighty move of intercession? Just tell me. I know it was prayer. He said, nope. Wasn't prayer. I said, come on. Tell me you prophesied. You declared it from the heavenlies. I want to hear that. You know, that's kind of my thing. (laughs) I I, I wanted to hear this. I'm like, "Come, come on, tell me that's what happened. You prophesied this to happen. Oh, no, Vicky, no. You trained, you educated, you had pastors, you trained evangelists. Oh, no, Vicki, no, no. I said, then tell me, why is it happening? He said, Vicki, I can tell you this. It's a sovereign move of God. It is the time of God. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. We are handling it with clean hands and a pure heart because we don't deserve it. And we don't know why God's doing this, except it's our time. I said, God, I began to pray. I said, God, why are you doing it in India? Why have we seen in the last decade this incredible move in China with tens of thousands and thousands of house churches? Why are you doing it in China? He said, and the Lord began to tell me that the country I love, (laughs) July 4th, the country I love of America has been, has risen as a world power, but it will not remain. It will not remain. World power. That probably the next world power, the ones that are going to be stepping up to lead the nations, will be China and India. And if they're going to lead the nations, don't you want them saved? <laughs> Think about it. Think about God's plan. Where does he need to work the hardest right now to get as many people saved? Except the, play, except the nations that will reign over the earth and the global powers. We need people, men of God, women of God, in those countries who are passionate for Jesus Christ. So when put in places of leadership, in business and in government and in economy and in education... They will reign with the heart of God and the love of Jesus. Amen. And so God has a plan. God has a plan. But open your mind. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's way bigger. (laughs) Way bigger. That's why dreaming big is not enough. Dream bigger. You know what I'm saying? Because God is out to change nations and God has called us to disciple each other, but not for us, but for the world. I believe that part of what God is saying to you, has been saying to you, is come to me. Come to me. Come to Jesus. Come for, come for worship. Come for healing. You want to be free? Come for deliverance. You want to be saved? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Get soaked in the rain and the waters of Jesus. You come. You come. But the reason you're going to come is pretty soon God's going to say, go for Jesus. You come to him so you can go for him. Come to Jesus and then God's going to say, go. Go for him. Go for him. But the reason you can go is because you're not going to be the same. You won't be the same because you will have come. Amen. So I, I think, you know, in it's soon time. For, for New Philly. This is a season. You guys enjoy it. Okay? You, you love it. You soak in it. You pray in it. You, you fall in the spirit. You learn how to pray in tongues and prophesy. You do all of that. You soak in the glory of God. Because God's going to be sending you out to a dry land. To a sparse land. 
He's where you will go for Jesus. <laughs> but you won't be dry. Okay. You won't be dry. You'll go to a place where there isn't revival, but you won't be concerned because revival will be in you. Okay. Re- revival will be in you. So you can go into the desert. Okay. You can go into the desert cause you're soaked and watered. Okay. You're filled up. Okay. So you, you get soaked as much as you can in this season. That is the season for new Philly right now. It is the time for you to be soaked and enjoy and, and laugh and just, huh, I, I mean, it's just like just the most fun, most, most, most fun. Okay. But that is because he will soon say, you have come to me. Now go for me. Go for me. Okay. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.